Welcome back to The Word is Resistance. This is a podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, and even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, times in which we're living today. This is a time we ask ourselves, what do our sacred stories, our, our Bible readings, the lectionary texts, have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance and in showing up and in liberation? Uh, This podcast is a project of Surge Faith. Surge, as you probably know, is an acronym that stands for Showing Up for Racial Justice. Surge is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. Why do I keep talking about whiteness and saying the word white? It's because uh, this is a a space for white people to get specific, uh, to reflect on our whiteness, our construction of our identity. What does it mean to be white in the United States of America? What does it mean to be a white Christian? Uh, Serge believes that white people need to work on this, need to, need to think, need to act, need to reflect. This is not white-only space. Anyone, everybody, is welcome to participate, uh, to listen, to give feedback, to uh, interact with this any way that you would like. Uh, but this is uh, designed for white people uh, to resist racism. Uh, we have to resist other forms of systemic injustice also that we're invested in and complicit with. So this is called The Word is Resistance. I'd like to uh, read for you the Bible passage, uh, New Testament Gospel reading for this week from the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, But uh, before I do that, just want to introduce myself. My name is Will, Will Green. I'm a Methodist pastor in New England. This is the second time I've contributed uh, to the Word is Resistance. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, And uh, as I I say, I'm up here in New England. I am a, a white Christian preacher. So we're going to start with the Bible, and then we're going to turn to Boston uh, after the break, because some stuff went down in Boston uh, last week um, that I'm sure wherever you are you've heard about and have thought about, maybe you participated in as I did. So we'll start with the Bible and then move on to Boston. But first, this reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, Who do people say the human one is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, Happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my rock on this... Nope. 
I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. This is the gospel reading for this morning. And I should let you know that uh, I was reading from the Common English Bible. Maybe you recognize that or know that. For some reason, uh, the Common English Bible is the translation of the Bible that uh, the church that I serve has in the pews and has uh, up on the altar. And I think it's fantastic. So that is our reading for this week. This story takes place when Jesus showed up in Caesarea Philippi. I had to practice saying Caesarea. Caesarea Philippi. I have nothing to say about the geography or archaeology of that city in particular. Instead, I just want to point out, very simply, it's a specific place. Just notice that obvious thing. There is a context for this story. Now, what's your context? What's your specific place? Where are you? Location matters. Whether we're in Boston or Charlottesville or Phoenix matters for our preaching, this week and every week. And our location impacts what Jesus asks us and wants us to focus on. It matters where we show up, and it matters where and when we don't show up, for that matter. Location matters. This past week in Boston, a white supremacist rally was planned. They decided to show up in a space I'm a part of in my community. I'm realizing I haven't said the date yet in this podcast. I'm recording this on August 22nd, 2017. So this last Saturday was August 19th. And that was the day that the same forces and many of the same people who were just in Charlottesville, Virginia, said they'd be coming to Boston, Massachusetts. And when that became known, wow, people here in Boston decided to resist. Boston showed up. Let me give you two names for your prayer list, okay? These are people to celebrate before God. Monica Cannon Grant and Angie Camacho. Add them to your prayer list. Pray for them. These two women were the initial primary organizers for this incredible resistance rally. Give thanks to God for Monica and Angie. They're both women of color, and they brought Boston together like few people could have imagined was possible. I'm telling you, if Ted Williams himself rose from the grave and called on people to march in Boston, I'm not sure the turnout could be much better than it was this last weekend. People are saying that upwards of 40,000 people rallied and marched on a sweltering August day to show up and resist white supremacy in Boston. People in Boston don't go out in public like this. I don't know if you know this city, but it's not known for being down for the struggle against racism. And yet, Monica and Angie, and of course so many other leaders too, brought people together, and it was just an amazing experience. 
So as I think about my location here in Boston, I'm thinking about this rally. And as I reflect on the Bible passage, there are two big themes uh, that I want to talk about that I notice. They are identity and authority. Identity and authority. Let me expand on what I mean by these words. First, identity. The Bible reading gets me thinking about how we see each other, what we think of each other. It gets me thinking about our sense of self and of others, about identity. Maybe not the best word for it, but here's what I mean. Very simply, Jesus asked the question, hey, what are people saying about me? What words come up when people think about me? How am I perceived? How am I described or talked about? What do people associate with me? Yeah. Uh, These just strike me as good questions for white people to think about when it comes to our anti-racism work and an anti-racist commitment. Identity. Think with me about some questions about identity. Now, this is a creative turn. I'd like us to uh, use our creativity as an exercise. I want uh, to suggest to you three imaginary questions that I'm going to describe, and I'd like you to think about them now or later, okay? Questions about identity. First, what if Jesus asked you, what if Jesus asked you, hey, what do you think about these, quote, rallies that are happening? What if Jesus asked you, uh, what words would you honestly use to describe these, these rallies? Jesus is not asking you to be mean, just to be honest. What do you say about them? What sort of a pronouncement would you make? Like the, the, the people in Charlottesville or the people who said they're going to go to Boston or who are planning to tour other cities. Now, if Jesus asked me, I want to tell you that I might say, Jesus, some people call these free speech activists, I call them white supremacists. It's pretty obvious and clear. But I hope that churches can be just as clear in saying the words white supremacy, Nazi, racism, just as clear in saying those words as they can be in saying the name Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, how have you responded and how will you respond as you are asked to reflect on these so-called free speech rallies and events? Uh, That's the the first creative question. Jesus asks you to name these people uh, that are doing such terrible harm and even killing people. Can can you say it? Okay, now let me give you another uh, imaginary conversation with Jesus to think about. I'm just being creative here as I think about identity and this reading. What if Jesus asked you, Hey, what do you think about white people? How would, you, how would you describe white people? What comes to your mind when I ask you to tell me what you think about when you think about the identity of being white? Interesting question. What do you think? Would you have an answer for Jesus if he asked, if he asked you to tell him what it means to be white? Of course, the, the worry is that many white people, if they were asked this question by Jesus, they would say, Oh, people are people. Race doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, But what would you say? What words would you use if Jesus asked you to talk about whiteness? Would you say the word guilty? Would you say the word complicit or racist? Would you say the word confused? Would you say the word scared? Would we defend ourselves before Jesus? if asked to tell him about whiteness? 
Or would we engage in some sort of over-the-top spiritual self-flagellation, you know, where we say, oh, white, white people are the worst, Jesus. It's, it's something for you to think about, an exercise for you to engage in. How do you talk to Jesus about being white and having this identity? Very big question. Okay, one last imaginary question about identity. I'd like you to think about Jesus asking white people. Just thinking here. What if Jesus said, Hey, tell me something about what white people are saying about people of color. What if Jesus said to your white church, Hey, white people, what are you all saying about people of color? What do you hear? Let me in on your conversations. Tell me what you're noticing in white spaces. How do you talk about, how do you think about the people who you don't perceive as white? Who do you think they are? What if Jesus were to ask you to repeat to him the things you hear white people saying about the rest of humanity? What would you have to say to Jesus? One of the questions uh, we ask ourselves, the writers of this podcast, uh, The Word is Resistance, ask ourselves is, uh, how is this a resistance text? You know, does the reading we're looking at lend itself to the idea of resisting white supremacy? Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no. Here's the thing. I think the idea of disclosing private conversations that white people have among ourselves, disclosing these private conversations can be form of resistance. Being explicit and direct about conversations that take place in our dining rooms, in our church committees. I'm talking about times when there are only white people in the room. Being explicit about these conversations and sharing them can be important. It can be a form of resistance to repeat and to make plain what we normally try to keep in the shadows. Do you know what I mean? I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, ratting on the stupid shit white people say, though that's good. Confession is good. It's good to confess to Jesus the horrible limitations of whiteness. Uh, but I'm also talking about bringing Jesus into our white spaces and letting him into our conversations. So, remember, Jesus, of course, was not white. A shocker to many white people, but something something good to say. So those are some creative questions for you to think about in terms of this reading and identity. Uh, one last thing, very important, I want to say about identity, is that part of who I am is Methodist, which for me means, among other things, that I'm in touch with an evangelical sensibility that connects me to Jesus Christ. For me, when I know who I am, I know who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is at the center of my life and my identity. Now remember in this reading, Jesus asked Peter about who Peter thinks Jesus is. But also, Jesus tells Peter about who Peter is. These things go together. Our identity and the identity of Jesus are related to each other somehow. For me, Methodist, evangelical tradition, Jesus tells me who I really am. And for me, my relationship with Jesus 
contains the potential to determine my relationship with everybody else too, with all creation. That's important for me to remember in all of this. This is part of my spiritual core. For you, it will be different, I'm sure. I don't know how you would answer any of these questions that we're imagining together. I, w I don't want to tell you <laughs> how to answer any of these questions. That's for you to decide, for you to talk about with Jesus. Have these conversations with Jesus. It will be helpful for us in getting clarity, in understanding the location where we are. We all need to be ready to do some disclosing about what people are saying. And we need to investigate our identity and our sense of what makes us who we are. So, identity. This reading gives us the chance to reflect on our identity, and there are some questions for you to think about. Now, I want to take a turn to the other idea, which is authority. This story is normally read famously about being about the authority of the church. You know, Peter is called the rock on which the church is built, and he's given a set of keys. Okay, authority. But first of all, because of the rally in Boston last week, when I hear mention of keys, first thing I think about is handcuffs. Uh, because leading up to the rally, I attended a few trainings where we talked about and prepared for getting cuffed and being arrested. Let me just briefly say that uh, before showing up at rallies, I hope that you are training yourself, seeking out training with others so that you can keep yourself and others safe. Go to nonviolent direct action trainings, street medic trainings, these sorts of things. So at some of these trainings, Friday was a day of training for me before the event. One thing we learned was how to clench our fists or widen our fingers when handcuffs uh, go on us. Do you know about this trick? If you spread your fingers really wide and you take your other hand and put your fingers around your wrist while that hand is spread really wide, you can feel your wrist widen a little bit. So if you do this, if you widen your fingers or clench your fist when you're getting cuffed, you can get a few extra millimeters around your wrist. And then when you relax, you'll have a little bit more room. Something we learned in training. We're also told to be very, very careful with this because merely doing this just flexing your fist or reaching out your fingers while being handcuffed can lead to being charged with resisting arrest. Believe it or not, merely flexing your wrist can be a crime. Isn't that gross? Okay, authority. Who has the authority to bind people up and to fasten people? Who has the authority to say to give us the space to flex our muscles? I don't think this authority should belong to the police. Fastening and loosing is an authority that comes from Jesus. The police are, of course, going to lock people up anyway, no matter what our theology is. But remember that Jesus has given us the authority we need. It's not an authority to put handcuffs on people. It's the authority to act as if heaven is connected to our life here on earth as if heaven is already here on earth. And the things that we do in this life have eternal significance. Jesus gives us the authority to start behaving as if our hope and our imagination and our faith are already turning into something real. 
Do you know what it feels like to be free in Christ and to live as if heaven is already among us? If this is not something you normally think about, I want to offer you this idea as you reflect on this reading. We do not need to wait for anything to do what we want or to act the way we know is right. We do not have to wait for heaven to come down to earth. We do not have to wait to go up to heaven in order to be free. Jesus has already given us that authority. This is something to think about in terms of authority. I think a lot of people are waiting for permission to do what we want to do. A lot of people are waiting for permission or for a sign to create the world we want to live in. But I think we're ready to do it already. We have all the authority we need to live into our faith. We don't need to wait. When we know who Jesus is, then Jesus tells us that we are ready to do heaven's work here and now. Honestly, at times when I've stepped into the freedom to live my faith, I found people are already doing it anyways. And this is something that tens of thousands of people realized in Boston this weekend. We showed up, we stepped out, and we realized we're not alone. We have more power than we imagined. We have the authority to do it already. Yeah? Okay, now the last, last thing I want to say about authority is that it may not look the way we think it's going to look. Just this last illustration. Right before the march was getting ready to start, the march to Boston Common, there were a whole lot of white people asking each other, who's in charge? What's the plan? How's this going to work? What's going to happen? And this even happened in a conversation with friends of mine where people said, okay, what's the plan? What's going to happen? When's this start? How's this work? And, you know... I said, well, Black Lives Matter is a leaderful movement, so it's good, to us to, it's good for us to feel this sense of community uh, and a group that's exercising expression of decision-making that white people aren't used to. You know, we're not in charge here. And as I, as I tried saying this to uh, a friend, they said, yeah, 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 I know. I just want to know when this is actually going to happen. When's this going to start? White people can be very funny, can't we? Can't we be? If you feel yourself saying, I just need to know when this is going to happen and how this is going to start, the good news is, it's already happening. It's not just in the places where I've been or places where you've been, but it's happening in many locations by people of many identities and all with a great authority that makes God very happy. Where to go from here? A few actions to take. First, reflect on the questions I talked about earlier. You could journal about it or talk about it with a friend. How would you answer these questions to Jesus? Going further, think about ways that you can disclose conversations in white-only spaces in a way that deconstructs and challenges whiteness. 
What would it be to take on an anti-racist practice of disclosure that repeats, exposes, and delegitimizes words spoken or ideas expressed with the understanding that they're a secret between white people? On a different note, pray for and materially support people of color in your location who are leading anti-racism efforts. You can also make a donation to the Fight Supremacy Rally organizers here in Boston. It would really be appreciated. Finally, for action tech steps, educate yourself by attending a nonviolent direct action training and street medic training. Invite other people to join you too. Sign making and marching is very good, but the more training, the more skills we can share, the more education we can share, the better. Maybe it's time for you or others to take next steps in this way. Friends, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm excited to say that next week we'll have a new contributor recording their first The Word is Resistance podcast, so that's something to look forward to. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance, and you can interact with us there if you have questions. The music you've been hearing is a live recording of a sound gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. It's called We're Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, which is a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct action in other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, and it's being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Hardy family for letting us use the song for this podcast. <laughs>